Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey, Jonathan, how's it going? It's going okay. I'm a little disappointed this year, gotta admit. Why, why is that? Because I feel like Thanksgiving and Christmas are way too close to one another. Oh, they are. Was it last year that we had like an extra week? Yeah, it was It was November. really long last year. Yeah. And this year it's yeah. really condensed and it, it just feels wrong because it feels like Christmas is almost here because it is. It's like two and a half weeks away. Yeah, and- but I, ha- I have to tell you, my schedule is different this year in that things are really busy for the next week and a half or so. And then all of a sudden the last 10 days before Christmas, we're all in town Nobody, you know, it's not the parties are done, things like that. So, yeah, it does seem shorter this year, but I feel like I'm going to have a lot more time to take it in. So, oh, I'm okay. kind of happy about this year. All right. Well, hey, you know what this Monday night is? I do. It's the Behold the Lamb of God concert. Yes, the, the one at the Ryman. It's also being streamed. We talk about it every year. This is one of our favorite yes. things to talk about on the podcast. So, yes. folks, if you're interested in that, Google around. You can find it. Use the Google machine. And uh, check that out. Stream that on Monday night. I think it's like 10, 15 bucks, something like that. It's really cheap. And, worth uh, it. It's absolutely worth it. So I'll be hosting a little watch party here at the house. So even if it's just me and Parker, it'll be a little watch Excellent. party here at the house. I I am actually planning to be there. I'll look for, for you on the TV. Time. How about that? Oh, I'm sure you'll see me. For the first time in, I think, since 2012 was the last time I went at the Ryman. I have been several times in North Carolina. I was there at the Ryman at the with you Ryman. that night. Not with you, but we were at that same concert. Because I didn't know you were going to be right. there. And you walked in and I was like, hey. That's so, right. Yeah, I remember that. Yep. Because so Micah we, uh, had just been born. That Yeah. So we we uh, came home. We had just moved to Wake Forest. And we came back to Nashville for Christmas a little bit early and got there in time for the concert. So we went. But in the years since, as it has come to the Raleigh area, we would go and was at Southeastern last year. But this year, I get to be at the Ryman, which I'm going to have to say the Ryman show really is the best show because, first mm-hmm. of all, just the environment, the acoustics, everything. But at the Ryman show, a lot of local people come and participate. Yes. So it's a much bigger show. Whereas yes. the touring, you know, one touring is it's amazing. It's good. It's good to just be there and hear it live. But, but it's not the Ryman. It's not the Ryman. So Amen. I'm pretty excited. All right. Well, that's cool. So there's our commercial on the front end. This week's podcast brought to you by Behold the Lamb of God, I think. Free, Um, totally free sponsorship. If they want to pay for it, send a check, you know, or just comp my uh, my video on Monday night. So, you you know, give Amy a t shirt at the concert or something. That's right. So, all right. Well, let's jump into it, Amy. Some big news out of the credentials committee this week. They have established an online submission portal as a part of their work. This was the committee that was established at the SBC annual meeting this year. Messengers voted on this as a bylaw change that established it as a standing committee that would receive reports of any church's suspected departure from Southern Baptist polity doctrine or practice and to make recommendations to the executive committee regarding possible disfellowship of churches. So you can go to sbc.net slash credentials and find out more about that. There's also a story at Baptist Press kind of walking people through the process. Again, the committee does not investigate churches. Uh, That is something that uh, we've we've talked about here on the podcast. We don't have power of investigation. They do inquire, uh, like you mentioned, about the polity and practice, and if they— uh, the doctrine of the church. So 
There's one thing to note, Amy, that the credentials committee stated they will not be reporting out like churches that are submitted or things like that. Only when a church is recommended for disfellowship at the executive committee meetings in February, June, or September will we likely hear from this committee. And just to continue what you said, one thing the committee has tried to make very clear is the importance of anything that is criminal activity needing to be reported to law enforcement. The committee understands that it is not an investigative body, and they are very clear in encouraging people to go to the people who are established to investigate crimes. This is very specifically a committee about cooperation among churches about what our cooperating standards are, and they will assess based on information that they have, uh, but they have a very specific assignment that they have been given. So that new website that they put up allows for submission through the portal. It also has a form that you can download if someone would rather send it in or submit it through that PDF. It's just a couple of different ways, but it gives a very direct way to share any information with the committee about churches that may not be meeting the cooperating standards. So, Amy, we will continue to uh, see if there is anything from the Credentials Committee. Uh, If there is anything, like we mentioned, it'll be probably in February, June, or September at those Executive Committee meetings. But it's the first of the month. You know what that means. CP. We are off to our best start in a decade, Amy. We're up 3.28% over last year's gifts and we've exceeded $17.3 million given in November. Uh, brings the budget total for the fiscal year to more than $32.5 million, which is more than a million dollars more. Uh, like we said, the 3.28% than last year, just a shade under the budget of 32.75 that was uh, budgeted for the fiscal year so far through two months. Based on the last couple of years and how we've seen the CP giving start off a bit slowly, this is a good sign. We're in a good place, Amy. Absolutely. This is very encouraging to see, and I hope we see a trend that continues over the next few months. And it was noted in the story here, Amy, that this is the best start since 2009 to a cooperative program budget year. So again, very strong start to the year, and I'm excited about that. Also, some big news out of Woodstock, Georgia this past week, Amy. Johnny Hunt preached his final sermon as pastor at First Baptist Woodstock. That's pretty amazing. So looks like it was a great day of celebration and honor for him. He said, one of the greatest privileges of my life is to have been the pastor of First Baptist Woodstock the last 33 years. But I balance the privilege with the responsibility that in Acts 20, 28, the Bible says, I am to shepherd the church of God that he purchased with his blood. So it sounds like it was just a very moving time. Jeremy Morton has already been a, been put in place as uh, the successor, but this was sort of a special day for the final sermon at Woodstock. Yeah, and remember Johnny Hunt is not leaving the area, uh, been with the North American Mission Board as Vice President for Evangelism, and we, we announced that uh, back in, I think, October of 2018. Uh, so they've been transitioning and they, you know, they identified the successor transition that over the last year or so. So that is uh, exciting for Jeremy Morton at First Baptist Woodstock, as well as Johnny Hunt, who now will be full time with the North American Mission Board. On to some seminary news, Amy, down at New Orleans. They have a new vice president and associate vice president on the bayou. Yes, they do. So Mike Wetzel, longtime Florida pastor, is going to be vice president for institutional advancement. 
He's been serving for 27 years at the Island Chapel in Tierra Verde, Florida. That's a church he planted when he was a church planter apprentice with what was at that time the Home Mission Board. So now he will be headed to New Orleans Seminary to be vice president for institutional advancement. That's fundraising, donor relations, things like that. Also, Chris Schaefer, who has been assistant to the president for a few years now, um, both for Chuck Kelly and then for Jamie Dew, he will be associate vice president for institutional strategy beginning in January. And so that he'll oversee denominational relations, alumni relations, strategic initiatives, things like that. And that's not the only news we have from a seminary. We had a statement come from Southwestern Seminary this week about a claim that they had dismissed a professor for his position on same-sex relationships and his advocacy for victims of same-sex abuse. Southwestern Seminary Provost Randy Stinson issued a lengthy statement in which the seminary categorically denied those claims by Dr. Lopez. I'll just read a a quick paragraph from that. It said, recently it became necessary for the seminary to notify Dr. Lopez that his position is being eliminated due to changing program needs in our college. In response, Dr. Lopez has engaged the service of a public relations firm, which has distributed a press release that makes defamatory claims about Southwestern Seminary that are categorically false. Southwestern was asked about the changes to Scarborough College and the changing program needs that Stinchin mentions there. Uh, they told Baptist Press that currently they have two full-time professors of humanities, one senior professor and one professor of philosophy and humanities. From last year to this year, the required humanities courses has been cut from eight to four, and so therefore did not need that third professor of humanities, who was Robert Lopez. So just some changes to course needs. That happens at every seminary. I'm sure it happened at your time at Southeastern. You saw it. Um, I'm sure Keith, is. that's something that he deals with probably on a semester-by-semester basis. Yes, curricular changes uh, happen depending on the programs that you have, the things that are required for them, and so academic needs change all the time. Yep. Over to some state convention recaps. Amy, we only have two this week. We're almost done. I think we're only like four or five away from being finished this year. Michigan Baptists held their meeting up in Plymouth, Michigan. They had 203 total in attendance and heard from Executive Director Tim Patterson and his vision to have 500 churches by 2025. That'll take a lot of church planning up there in Michigan. They have more than 300 churches right now. Uh, the budget was passed at $2.284 million, uh, roughly a 20% decrease from this current year, but anticipates $1.2 million in CP giving, of which 27.5% of those receipts will be passed on to national and international causes through the cooperative program, which was unchanged from 2019. Officers in Michigan are Scott Blanchard. He's the lead pastor of Lake Point Church in Shelby Township, Michigan. He was reelected as president, also reelected or first vice president Roy Henry, the lead pastor of Faith Baptist Church in Battle Creek, Second Vice President Ed Emmerling, who's the lead pastor of Westside Baptist in Flushing, and Assistant Recording Secretary Roland Caldwell, lead pastor at Burnett Baptist Church in Detroit. Jerome Taylor, lead pastor of Eastgate Baptist Church in Burton, was newly elected as the Recording Secretary. Other state convention we have this week, Amy, Louisiana. So Louisiana met November 11th and 12th. They celebrated 250 new church plants since 2010. That's a lot in the last almost decade. They passed a budget of $18,653,700, and they will send 36.74% onto national entities from that. 
Um, the messengers elected David Cranford, pastor of First Baptist Church Ponchatoula, as Hometown. president. Hometown. There you go. Uh, Leroy Fountain, who is a church health strategist for the New Orleans Baptist Association. He was reelected first vice president. And Mark Taylor, who is a layman from Cook Baptist Church in Ruston, elected second vice president. I always love to see uh, the laymen that participate in these state conventions. I think that's just really great. Is that a Hilton Head lighthouse tie that he's wearing? I do not know. I'm not, I'm not sure. Are there lighthouses in Louisiana? No. Okay, you would know. I don't know. Well, it could I, be. No, I mean, uh, there may be, but I don't know of any. Yeah. Well, it's I a very pretty a lighthouse. It's a very pretty red lighthouse. On it looks like the one over at, at Hilton Head or Harbor Town. You know what I'm talking about? I've I've not been. Well, okay. I've been to Hilton Head once, I think, but I was there for a wedding. I didn't go to the lighthouse, so oh. I'm not sure. Uh, they also approved four consensus statements. One uh, expressing appreciation to the their location, the Randolph Riverfront Center in Alexandria, for hosting them. Uh, one declaring that being transformed from sinner to believer means our old selves have passed away, as well as our old identity with those sins. One that called for Louisiana lawmakers to provide legal relief for churches to allow them the freedom to share information reasonably believed to be a true allegation about an individual to prospective employers or other congregations as a mean to prevent predators from continuing to harm others. It's like the one we saw in Texas, right? That's right. This would be connected with the legislation that was in Texas talking about if if churches share information with another church. Um, that they wouldn't be liable. So this was a resolution that was calling on Louisiana lawmakers to do the same thing. And then finally, a consensus statement that expressed support for the proposed Love Life Amendment that will be on the statewide ballot in 2020. Um, that is uh, an amendment that it looks like has constitutional protection against unilateral actions to undo pro-life laws. Uh, so it's it's giving strong endorsement and urged all eligible Louisiana Baptists to register and vote for the Love Life Amendment. So those were kind of the major statements from Louisiana this year. They had um, their final messenger count was 583 messengers, and that was up from last year. And then finally, Amy, this week, some Neat news out of China. The Chinese government has designated Lottie Moon's church as a historical site. Yes, this is this is kind of an interesting story, and uh, it has gotten a lot of attention. We've noticed a lot of people have been reading this. The timing's really cool because it came just as uh, we've been observing the week of prayer for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. So the State Council of the People's Republic of China has decided to designate it as a nationally protected historical and cultural site. So that's yeah. that's really cool because this is the Chinese government that's doing this. I mean, obviously, in all of our hearts, we would say this is a protected historical and cultural site. Um, but this is the Chinese government that has done this because she had a tremendous impact and legacy uh, there. There's a, a, a picture of, there's a picture in the story, an IMB photo of a Chinese woman standing beside a monument that had been dedicated to Lottie Moon. And Chinese Christians built it and dedicated it to her in 1915, but it is now being, uh, oh, the but monument. it is now being set aside, the monument, but the, the church is now being set aside as nationally, as being nationally protected. Yeah, the church was built in 1872 by Southern Baptist missionaries Tarleton and Martha Crawford. And is still in use as a membership of about 4,000. 
Uh, it was closed to foreigners in the early 1900s, but reopened in 1988. So really cool thing. Got yeah. the, uh, the monument and everything. And she said was, de- you know, dedicated in, uh, 1915. So, uh, pretty exciting yeah. times for, for Lottie Moon over there. Yeah. And this is neat too. This, this part of the story is neat that since the church had been closed to foreigners in the early 1900s, so it's not until 1988 that people can come back, can come back in. And so some of the first foreigners to visit the church once it reopened were WMU leaders. And when they went in there, they discovered that monument that had been dedicated in 1915. So, you know, she is is very meaningful to us. She has a legacy among Southern Baptists, but she also has a legacy over there with the people that she loved and reached. Yep. Very cool. So that was just a neat story to see this week and, and good timing on the week of prayer, as you mentioned. That's going to do it for our news this week. Bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. All right, so I want to go to 1960 and just bring up something that Baptist Press was talking about all the way back then. So that's almost 50, no, it's almost 60 years ago. As uh, as we've talked about, we have the Baptist Press morning briefing that goes out now that you put together and you've sort of added this BP sports section where you Yeah, I messed up on the Friday one this week. Yeah, I would not have known that you messed up on that. But, that's not Jerry's um, Jason Garrett. That's Matt Rule, people. Sorry, my bad. Yeah. Um, again, I would have had no idea. But anyway, uh, this is not the first time. I mean, I know we've had BP Sports stories, coverage of the Olympics and things like this. But this is not the first time that a major feature has been to focus on sports. In the December 9th, 1960 issue of Baptist Press, the top story was Baylor meets Florida in Gator Bowl Classic. And so there's this whole story about how the Gator Bowl is coming up. Obviously, this is way long before the uh, college football playoffs. What's interesting is it, it they talk about how only three Southern Baptist colleges had ever played in a major bowl game at that point, Baylor, Wake Forest, and Hardin-Simmons. And that year, Baylor was going to be playing Florida in the Gator Bowl. And it's very uh, funny the way they start the story. The lead is that the drama of the three bears comes off when Baylor University meets the University of Florida for the annual Gator Bowl. Apparently, the apparently Baylor's team had what they called were the three bears because they were the Baylor bears. And it was three players all named Ronnie, Ronnie bull, who was the leading scorer in the Southwest conference, Ronnie Goodwin, who was the halfback. He was the leading pass receiver. And then Ronnie Stanley, the quarterback, the leading passer in the Southwest conference, all three Ronnies belonged to the same church, Columbus Avenue Baptist church in Waco. And uh, so Baptist press had a lot of fun with that. They called them the three bears and then said, Florida Gators, however, don't really resemble the sweet little girl Goldilocks and say they will eat their fill of the bears porridge. So there was a lot of excitement and interest. Statistically, the two teams were evenly matched with a possible slight edge going to Baylor. It was Florida's third appearance in the Gator Bowl and Baylor's second. Now, I have looked this up and I am sorry to say that the Florida Gators actually did defeat Baylor, uh, but it was a close game, 13 to 12, and both quarterbacks were the game's most valuable player, but it looks like 
the quarterback in that game actually was not Ronnie Stanley, uh, was Bobby Ply. So this was a, a story that was previewing it, but a few things were different. It said that um, Ronnie Goodwin dropped the winning two-point try in the closing seconds. So unfortunately, the game did not go as well as Baptist Press and Baylor fans had hoped. As you have really started something back of a daily sort of interest in sports from Baptist Press, I just want to say that they were also talking about sports and the drama of the three bears this week in SBC history. All right. Well, you worked in the Gator Bowl, Goldilocks, and Baylor football all into one thing. So well done. There you go. Well done. Thank you. All right. That brings us to our resources of the week. My resource of the week is a story on Lottie Moon giving this week. Uh, We did a story in Baptist Press this week about First Baptist Prattville, as well as First Baptist Charleston, South Carolina, who are taking a bit of a unique approach to their Lottie Moon Christmas offering goals. They've determined, and talking with the IMB, that it takes $62,000 a year to keep a missionary unit on the field. So family, individual, whatever it is, $62,000. That's the average cost to support one missionary unit for the entire year through the IMB. So First Baptist Prattville said, well, we want to support two missionary units. And they've made their financial goal $124,000. It helps personalize the goal to the people in the church. So I just thought that was a neat little way to take the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and just say, instead of just saying, hey, we're going to fund $50,000 as our goal, and just this arbitrary number, you can say, hey, here's a specific thing, and we're wanting to fund one missionary unit. Maybe it's a smaller church, and they can only fund a quarter of a missionary unit or a half a missionary unit. These are still doable goals and still reachable, attainable goals. And I think it really helps personify what people are giving to whenever you set goals like this. So I really like the idea. I love the idea from Peyton Hill and Marshall Blaylock. So I'm passing that that along. And I think if it's not too late to kind of change up your goal or whatever it may be, or use this idea to help promote that in your local church. So I, I love the idea. Yeah, I like that too. It does let people kind of picture something. It gives people uh, when thinking about missionaries, and it also lets people think even about a place, you know, that that there's a place that a missionary unit is going. And so um, that's a a really cool strategy. That's awesome. Um, My resource of the week is the new Christmas album from Phil Wickham that I've just started listening to, and it's, it's really good. Um, I loved his earlier Christmas album, which was called Songs for Christmas. His version of Noel is one of my very favorites. Um, but this one dropped November 1st, but I've just now started listening to it. And uh, just really good. It has some great traditional Christmas carols as, as well as a few new songs. All right. We'll have to check that out. So uh, I just, uh, my favorite artist just dropped a Christmas song last night before we recorded I, this. So. I, I noticed that. I have not listened to not Taylor's new Christmas song. Right. And, uh, it, I've been recording with you first thing this morning. I just haven't had a chance to, but yeah, I, I should soon. So, all right. That's going to do it for us. Amy, looking forward to seeing you here in town next week. Uh, be here at the office and uh, be here for Behold the Lamb of God again, Monday night, seven o'clock. You can find out more online, just Andrew Peterson's website and You can stream the Behold the Lamb of God concert next week. That's going to do it for us this week. We'll see you next week. See you next week.